Hello, world, and welcome to the In My Footsteps podcast. I am Christopher Sutherland, coming to you from the vacation destination known as Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and this is episode 38. This week is the special monthly bonus episode. We dive into one topic, and I'm really excited. This is an episode I've been waiting to do since the outset of the podcast, but the timing just wasn't right. I'm going to go into the history, the influence, and the importance of one of the biggest albums easily of my lifetime, maybe of the last half century or more. Coming up the day after this podcast goes live will be the 30th anniversary of the release of Nirvana's Nevermind album. And as much as it pains me to say that it's been 30 years and I can remember when this album came out, it gives me a chance to talk about why it was important, kind of the revolution in music that it helped to create, and the legacy of the album, of the band Nirvana, and of Kurt Cobain himself. That's coming up right now on episode 38, special bonus episode of the podcast, Nirvana's Nevermind album, 30 years later. I don't even know where to start with this, because when asked to talk about this album and what it means, there's so much to unpack. It's just, I don't even know where to start. So I remember when I first heard the lead single from the album, Smells Like Teen Spirit, The single itself was released on September 10th, 1991, so it wasn't too long after that or around in that area. I don't know the exact date, but I was at my friend Matt's house, who I spoke of in episode 30 of the podcast. We were in his bedroom, which was in the basement, and he had one of those old-school clock alarm radios, and we were just sitting there next to his waterbed. I can still remember, and he turned it on, and we had a radio station, Pixie 103. And we turned on his clock radio, and here was this song blasting through. It was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And it was one of those, it would be like in a movie, it was a seminal moment. Like the narrator should have come over and said he knew his life would never be the same again. Because after I heard that song, it was just like everything changed. I was 13 going on 14 and in seventh grade. So you talk about a time in a child's life where things are changing, puberty and different, the hormones and the feelings and dealing with education and maybe changes with friends and family. And there's all this turmoil and trying to figure out what you are and who you are. For me, that was all going on. And suddenly here's this song, this music that kind of feels like it was written for me. I always bring up teenage angst, that that's what I felt Kurt Cobain had, even though when he wrote the song, when it was released, he was 24. But that moment, hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit in my friend Matt's bedroom just was the launching point for everything, including this podcast. All of my writing came from that. I wanted to be a singer, songwriter, musician, and obviously the musician part didn't happen. I realized that I don't have the skill to play guitar, but the writing part stayed. The Nuts and Bolts, Nirvana, was a Seattle-based alternative rock band, although they were one of the forerunners of an offshoot of alternative known as grunge music that was kind of a hybrid of a lot of different things that made its own unique sort of soup. 
It was alternative. It was metal. It was punk. It was even some pop. Because Nirvana's Nevermind album was like a alternative punk polished pop album. That's a lot of P's. Heavy guitar, very introspective and thoughtful lyrics, although they may be shouted at a lot of the times, especially Kurt Cobain and Chris Cornell and Lane Staley just shouting. And even though it was based in Seattle and the main genesis of grunge came from Seattle with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, there was more than just that. It became a movement. It started in the late 80s. Nirvana's first album, Bleach, came out in 1989 on Sub Pop Records, and it wasn't a real big hit, but it was like an underground hit. It was something that you would have seen on MTV's 120 Minutes show, which was like their alternative rock showcase. Nirvana at the time was made up of three people, Kurt Cobain, who was singer and lead guitarist, Chris Novoselic, who was the bassist, and Chad Channing, who was the drummer. Chad Channing basically became like the Pete Best of Nirvana, where Pete Best was the drummer before the Beatles got huge, and then Ringo came in and became the drummer. Chad Channing was the drummer on Bleach. He was replaced in 1990 by Dave Grohl. And the Nevermind album, which was Nirvana's second album, was produced by Butch Vig. As I said, the album Nevermind was released September 24th, 1991, so 30 years ago tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast on the day it's being released smells like teen spirit the lead single went as high as number six on the billboard top 100 and if you listen to this song it doesn't sound like a song that should be on the top pop chart it sounds like something that is more underground and that's kind of the crux of grunge is the fact that grunge was not mainstream It was more the Generation X alternative music, if that makes sense. Something that you would have to search and dig to find. And yet, as the time went on that this album was out and the music got more and more plays on MTV and on mainstream radio, that's it. Mainstream found grunge. Grunge did not go mainstream. So as 1991 ended, and especially into 1992, that's when you had all of these alternative bands and their music was everywhere. When you had Nirvana and Pearl Jam's 10, Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger and Alice in Chains' Dirt. Then you had Stone Temple Pilots come out with Core. You had a generation of kids with the torn jeans and flannel, including me. In my senior year photo in high school, I had a red flannel shirt on. I had torn jeans on, but you can't see him. It's just a headshot. The music spoke to me, though. It felt like Kurt Cobain was a kindred spirit, that what he was saying about his life and his feelings and his experiences also related to me, despite the fact that we were 10 years different in age. It was like Kurt Cobain was our sounding board. We couldn't say all of these things. We didn't have the platform. We meaning Generation X, the younger generation at the time. We didn't have the sounding board. So playing Nirvana and playing Kurt Cobain's lyrics was like our expression through him. It was something I tried to explain to my parents that just because you didn't understand the music of grunge, you had something in your life that spoke to you the way that Nirvana spoke to me, whether it was the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan or 
Pink Floyd, someone spoke to you like you they were your sounding board the way Nirvana was for me and my generation. I suppose the first real moment where people realized that Nirvana and grunge was legit music as far as sales go was January 11th, 1992, when Nevermind became not only Nirvana's first number one album, but it knocked Michael Jackson's Dangerous album off the top of the Billboard charts. By this time, Nevermind was selling about 300,000 copies a week, so it became a huge deal. I got my copy around the time of my birthday, and ironically, I still have that CD. It's so old that it's got the CD rot, which is it's just the deterioration of the disc itself from being handled thousands of times. And it's got the CD rot. It's got scratches all over it. I mean, I got it when I was just turning 14. So the fact now that I'm in my now going into mid 40s and I still have it, there's no way it still plays. I had to get all of the songs on MP3 because it's ruined. So Nirvana had dethroned Michael Jackson. They had already basically killed hair metal, which that's another story. Several other seminal songs were released from the album, including Lithium, In Bloom, Come As You Are. And they all had these videos that that was another thing. The videos for Nevermind and Nirvana in general had their own atmosphere. The Smells Like Teen Spirit video, which is like a an anarchy pep rally inside a gym, it became iconic. It's weird for me today to see kids that are high school aged, maybe even college aged, wearing the Nirvana shirt with the logo with the kind of squiggly, smiley face, because it reminds me of me being a kid, people wearing Beatles shirts or Doors shirts. Like, you don't realize a moment or a band or something is transcending a generation until years later when people are talking about it still. I didn't know Nirvana would end up becoming this thing where they're seen as transcending music. I didn't know it when I was listening. It was just the music that spoke to me. The funny thing is that despite the music speaking to me, there was a lot of trouble understanding exactly what Kurt Cobain was saying on a lot of these songs on Nevermind because he would scream and sometimes it would be kind of garbled words. So despite the fact that I had the Nevermind album, I actually went and bought the CD single for Lithium because inside they had the little booklet with it, and it had all of the lyrics for all of the songs from Nevermind. I said, I need that so that I know what he's saying. I know I feel the vibe and the emotion of what Kurt was saying, but I didn't know the exact words. And then reading the words along with listening to the music made it have an even deeper meaning. Once grunge found the mainstream, or I should say once mainstream found grunge, then all of these bands broke through. Soundgarden had had this, their second album was Bad Motor Finger. So they had been around just like Nirvana. Alice in Chains had already had an album out. Pearl Jam, their album 10 was their first, but it was just like discovering this whole new wing in a museum where it's all this new art and you walk in and it's like, wow, so there's Nirvana you know about. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, there's Pearl Jam. Whoa, there's Soundgarden. Alice in Chains, Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Temple Pilots. 1992 and 1993 
were really the apex of grunge because the bands were all being discovered at the end of 91. In 92 and 93, it was just flying high. They were everywhere. Later in 93, Nirvana released In Utero, which was their follow-up to Nevermind. And I always think of it, and maybe you think of it differently, but I think of Nevermind as being kind of like Michael Jackson's thriller, where you created this monster that nothing could have lived up to as far as a follow-up. So Michael Jackson created Bad as the follow-up, which was an amazing album too, but you get a lot of people that say, oh, it's not Thriller. And I feel like Nevermind, following that up was so difficult, and they made In Utero, which was another amazing album, but it's just slightly different, and you got some people that are like, ooh, but it's not Nevermind. And therein lies the problem, that mainstream found grunge And Kurt Cobain himself never wanted to be mainstream. He never wanted to be a star. The music meant more than the fame. So along with the fame came the pressure. And that's where things kind of spiral. He had personal issues and issues with drugs. As 1993 ended and 1994 began, Nirvana was just starting to spiral. Well, more Kurt Cobain was spiraling out of control. Where he OD'd once and they brought him back to life. And it was one of those things you hear about that on MTV, and it's like, boy, that's weird. But you don't think what the end result might be. You think it's like, oh, it's an accident, and he's all right. He'll learn and go from there. But that actually wasn't the case. And I still remember coming home from school my sophomore year and turning on MTV, and they were talking about a body being found above the garage in Kurt Cobain's house. That's how early it was, where it was like they didn't know who it was, but you kind of had an idea. And whatever the circumstances around Kurt Cobain's death, that's less relevant to this podcast and what I'm talking about. I want to get into the impact that his death had on the overall music scene and my generation. I feel that's more relevant. Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994 basically ripped the heart out of grunge. A lot of bands, they didn't fade away, but they started to drift from the grunge label. They either became more straight alternative or metal or like Pearl Jam. It was like they got spooked and Pearl Jam went as far from mainstream as you could get. Their next few albums were so not mainstream And they were really good, too, but it was just like they were trying to shake off the grunge label and only leave the real true fans and not the ones that came aboard when grunge got absorbed by the mainstream. It's crazy to think of the ripple effect because Kurt Cobain died. Nirvana was done. That was the end because there's no way you could reunite really without the singer songwriter within a couple years from that. You had Soundgarden break up. You had Alice in Chains break up. You had Stone Temple Pilots break up for a little while, but that was Scott Weiland and his drug issues. You had Smashing Pumpkins break up. Granted, some of these bands would eventually get back together. It was like dispersing a party. The life of the party is there, and they're doing all this stuff, and the people are just amazed. And then the police get called and the life of the party gets arrested and hauled away. And then the rest of the party just disperses. The end of Nirvana, the death of Kurt Cobain, ushered in this 
second wave of alternative bands. I won't qualify them as grunge, but it almost like it opened the door. This huge gaping hole that Nirvana left opened the door for these other bands to try to step forward. I'm talking about Live, Bush, Green Day, and later on Foo Fighters, which is Dave Grohl, came straight from Nirvana. If you listen to the Foo Fighters' first album, which is just Dave Grohl basically by himself, it's so much a cousin of Nirvana album. It's got that last gasp of grunge feel to it before Dave Grohl went to straight rock. It was almost like the mainstream and the music going public in general after Nirvana was gone and Pearl Jam walked away from mainstream, they were scrambling to find someone else to replace Nirvana, and it just was not going to happen. I look at it, and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. When it comes to grunge music, alternative music, I see Nirvana as being like the Beatles and Pearl Jam as being like the Rolling Stones. The Beatles were this huge supernova, but how long was their tenure really? Seven years, maybe? Eight years, maybe at most? And that's with Ringo, you're talking seven years? But the Rolling Stones have been going strong together for 55, 60 years. So Nirvana's reign was less than seven years from beginnings of the band to the end of the band. Whereas Pearl Jam... 30 years on from their 10 album, they're like the grizzled old veterans now. I look back now and grunge is kind of a flash in the pan. It had a lot of success, so it was a very successful flash in the pan. But it's only a few years that that style of music was a thing. It's mostly alternative, and it had kind of this detour into grunge. For me, it meant so much more, though. Nirvana. The Nevermind album, grunge music, it speaks to this turmoil point in my life, seventh grade through high school, where you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're supposed to be, what you want to be, people's expectations of you changing. And here's this music. Kurt Cobain himself, I really single out as being the biggest non-family influence on who I am as a person. Because he made me want to be a writer, singer-songwriter, which didn't happen. But the writing, writing with the passion, I did song lyrics, I did poetry, which morphed into short stories. And then that morphed into travel writing, travel blogs, which morphed into six books going on seven, which morphed into this podcast. So it all traces back to 1991, 30 years ago, and the release of the Nevermind album. I can play that album now straight through and I'll be 14 again. And suddenly I remember things from back then that just pop into my head. The music has seeped into my soul to the point where if I hear songs, I go to a place that's very deep and very emotional. And I know music can have that effect. I'm sure you've got songs that do that to you. But it's interesting because I will not listen to Nirvana. I'll skip it a lot because I know that I need to go to a certain place and appreciate the music. So it's better to skip it and then listen to it only at certain times to make it feel more special. I liken Kurt Cobain to my generation's John Lennon, someone that spoke to more than just music. It was a whole broader thing. Now, Kurt Cobain wasn't singing about war and peace and love, 
but the things that he spoke about spoke to the generation that he was from, my generation. You need that when you're a teenager finding your path. You need something that kind of centers you, that speaks to you. Whatever that is, it may not be music. Maybe it's something else. But when you find it at that point in your life, it stays with you forever. That's why Nirvana's music sticks with me to this day. I have never before and never since had any sort of music or singer or songwriter that has spoken to me in the way that Kurt Cobain did. And he did it for a lot of people of my age group, my generation. And it's a shame because it would be so awesome to have him in his 50s now writing music. I picture him being like a Neil Young type folk singer. He's got that wisdom. He went through all of the growing up and now he's looking back wistfully upon his youth. That sounds like me now. That's part of this whole podcast. 30 years ago this week, though, Nirvana's Nevermind album came out. It changed the landscape of music in ways that are still being felt to this day. Even if you're not a fan of the music, go throw on one of the videos and just get a feel for what it was like. It was a time in music that will not be replicated, grunge music. There's been different offshoot types of music that come and go. Grunge is one that is just stuck around. You still see people with the torn jeans and flannel. And Kurt Cobain is definitely still missed to this day. It's September. Summer is coming to an end. Kids are going back to school. The weather's about to get crisp and beautiful for fall. Perfect time to find something new and great from where your wish. Katie Marks' company has got all you need to look good for fall, to feel good for fall. She's got totes and bags for those going back to school. She's got hoodies as the weather starts to get cooler. You want jewelry? She's got jewelry and bracelets, accessories. Be sure to check out the new Coming Soon Zen Corner, Healing with the Intention for Your Mind, Body, Soul, and Space, the new t-shirt shop with new designs. Be sure to check out The Sully, which is dedicated to our grandfather, John Sullivan. You've heard me talk about him a lot. He was my hero, and now he is immortalized in t-shirt and sweatshirt form. And also the Newbie Nook, which will have all the new jewelry, accessories, and all the other new stuff hand-selected each month at wearyourwishes.com. High-quality fashion and style. Easy online shopping. They're all over social media. Wear Your Wish. Find them on Instagram. They're a great follow with more than just products for sale. There's lots of inspirational quotes that I find very helpful on a lot of days. So fall into fashion. Grab some great stuff from Wear Your Wish at wearyourwishes.com. And make sure to make a wish at 1111. Thank you for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the podcast, episode 38. Come on back next week for episode 39. It'll be another full-length episode. I'm going to talk about what it was like to train for and run and finish a marathon, which is wild. I still can't believe I did that. We're going to take a road trip to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, which is a very important historical town when it comes to the Civil War. 
We're going to have a new top five list, which is going to be the top five 1980s Saturday morning cartoons. This list is chock full of great ones. And I'm going to go way, way back in the day and tell you what it was like to be a New England Patriots fan in the 1980s, long before they became a dynasty with Tom Brady. All of that and so much more coming up next week on the In My Footsteps podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, on this journey, don't walk in anyone else's footsteps. Create your own path and enjoy every moment you can because you never know. Have a great week, a great weekend, and I will talk to you all again soon.